Once Upon a Time, Season 6, Episode 4 is over, but we are just getting started here on Once Upon a Recap. Hello, all you magical people out there. My name is Mike Bloom, one of the co-hosts of Once Upon a Recap, and I am not joined by Kurt Clark this week. Kurt is actually overseas in London, very appropriate considering the flashback narrative of this episode, but I am joined by a fantastic guest to take his place. You may recognize him from his great work on all the Big Brother podcasts on RHAP, as well as the RuPaul's Drag Race Rootcap, which I do with him every single week these past eight weeks. Kurt asked me to call him the Mr. High to his Dr. Jekyll. It's Brent Wolgamot. Brent, welcome back to the podcast. Yes, that was actually going to be my joke. I was like, I'm definitely the evil <laughs> so doppelganger. You, you really are the same person then right? if you're sharing the same joke. <laughs> <laughs> so Brent, the last time we saw you, correct me if I'm wrong here, I think it might have been all the way in the back half of season four during the Queens of Darkness arc. So it's been a minute. It's been too damn long, Mike. Let's be honest. Like, you needed me back here to set you guys straight on Once Upon a Time. Let's be real. Well, then let's start with the setting straight. Before we jump into this episode, I would love to hear from you since we've had a season and change break from Brent on the podcast. Give me your thoughts on not only the past four episodes of Once Upon a Time, but season five as well, which I know was probably maligned by the listeners more than it was Kurt and I. Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't disagree with you necessarily about season five. Um, I, in fact, I really liked the finale of season five. I mean, that was one where I was just, I, I was totally unbound about it. I was like, this is great. This felt wonderful to me. I had no idea where the story was going. And uh, going into this season... I really feel the same way. I really feel it's very season one. And I know that the producers said, well, we're going to be very season one. We're not going to do it like we did before where, you know, we have Mr. Hyde for 11 episodes. We kill him off and then we bring on someone new. We're not going to do that this year. I said, okay, fine. But I really am buying what they're selling. I mean, I know that that's what they want us to think that it's very season one-esque, but that's the way it feels to me. Even the little things like the throwback in this episode, I don't know if you saw it or not, but when Doc is in the laboratory and the evil queen walks in, he goes, it's the queen, like exactly like he did in the pilot, mm-hmm. exactly like he did in the pilot. So like, it was really, really wonderful to see. I, I loved this. I was shocked that uh, Hyde and Jekyll are gone so soon. Girl, bye. We barely knew you. And uh, we're on to something new. Yes, and I guess the big question is going to be what that is, whether that's just the evil queen or something else that we don't know about entirely. I, too, was very much shocked to have this be the swan song of Jekyll and Hyde, just like in Survivor, where sometimes you have these under-the-radar players, and in their boot episode, they suddenly get a crap load of airtime. We definitely got it here, considering that the flashback is all about Jekyll and Hyde. We get the big twist that Jekyll is maybe the evil one after all, considering that he kills Mary in the flashback, which sends them to the land of untold stories. But it culminates in both of their deaths. I'm intrigued to hear from you, Brent, and we'll talk about this episode more in detail, but do you think killing Jekyll and Hyde off so early was the writer's way of saying, well, we don't have much more road to work with. We already made our big twist, so let's just kill these characters off now. I mean, I think think that the listeners are with me on this, that I was really the F over Dr. Jekyll, like the actor who played him and the character himself. I'm sure the actor's a very nice guy, but the way he 
gave him certain mannerisms. I, I didn't really care for him. Mr. Hyde, on the other hand, was really interesting to me. I think mm-hmm. I was probably more like Mary. Like, I can't stand Dr. Jekyll, but I'm all in love with Mr. Hyde. Uh, that being said, <laughs> uh, I really am. I'm also a fan of Sam, Sam Witwer, who plays uh, Mr. Hyde as well. So uh, I'm, I'm a Star Wars geek, and he plays uh, the voice of Darth Maul and Emperor Palpatine on uh, Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. So I'm all, I was always going to be partial to him in the first place. That being said, I think it was a really good call uh, because it was unexpected. And I like Once Upon a Time when it's unexpected for them to kill them off. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it goes back to what Kurt and I have sort of been theorizing this entire season of they've said before the season started that, as you mentioned before, they're not going to package it into two 11-episode halves. Instead, they're going to do a much more through narrative and that means that i think there's going to be a little more ebb and flow than what we initially expect i feel like in an an 11 episode season maybe hyde wouldn't die after episode 11 maybe hyde would die after episode 9 and it turns out oh no hyde wasn't the one you need to worry about there's an even bigger person from the land of untold stories that you need to deal with so i'm definitely happy that they bucked the predictability trend here and i agree i loved mr hyde to death which made me sad that he died but i guess if it was to get this big twist done and to put this out in the universe and change the Jekyll and Hyde narrative, I guess it was all for the better. So let me ask you this question. Do you think that the overarching issue of this season is going to be Emma's vision? Do you think it's going to be the evil queen? Or do you think there's something to be had here with Saviors and Jasmine and Aladdin? I mean, or is that somehow maybe all interconnected? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be really tough to figure out will Emma's vision be in the final episode of this season or not? I'm inclined to say yes, because this is the big event that we're thinking about. This is, you know, in Hero Season 1, when they have the vision of Siler detonating himself in the middle of Times Square, that was what the season finale was. It was building to that. You would think that Once Upon a Time would build to something similar if they had something so far in the future, But this episode is a clear indicator that the show can pull out the rug from under us. So I personally am planting a flag that it's going to end the season, but I might have just jinxed it in saying that. Okay, I'm with you. (laughs) So let's talk about, we're on the subject of Jekyll and Hyde. Let's tackle this whole flashback narrative that happened in this episode and how it connects to what we eventually find out about Jekyll as well. Brent, what did you think? I don't know if, if you saw that much about Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. But Are you kidding? Wrong. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Like I, I know. You made, you made the reference to Once Upon a Time in Wonderland last time we were on here. Yeah, so Dr. Lydgate. I mean, come on. If you guys don't know, Dr. Lydgate was in the first episode of Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. He was the guy in the sanitarium trying to fix Alice. Uh, and I, you know, apparently I, it was to do with this potion. I always thought it was like some sort of... Uh, uh, electrical whatchamajigger that he was trying to use on her, but maybe he was looking mm-hmm. for something more. I don't know. And and who knows if these t- if these timelines line up, but it's the same guy, the same actor, the same character. And, you know, Alice, I always felt, was from fictional Victorian London, England. And so it looks like that's where Hyde is from as well. So I, I, I have to think that those two things line up. Now, do you think that in the multitude of universes that Once Upon a Time has under its belt, do you think this is in the same timeline as the Peter Pan Victorian England, or do you think they're just sort of two separate tracks that exist around the same time period? 
I think that they're two different realms, although they could be two different times within the same realm. I mean, it's very it's a very close call, but it seems like that this part of oh gosh, it seems like that this part of England is a little bit more used to magic. Whereas mm. I don't think that the Peter Pan England necessarily knew what magic was. That's true. And good on Dr. Lydgate. He seems to be a, a jack of all trades. And not only do we see him working in a sanitarium in Wonderland, but here he seems to have some sort of academy, which I can only assume is science related. Was that your guess as well, Brent? Uh, yeah, pseudoscience at best. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, science is a very loose definition here, as you just mentioned, in a world where magic kind of exists. Uh, Jekyll's not really getting much traction with Lydgate. Definitely not getting any traction with his daughter, Mary. Uh, but we have someone to appear and offer a possible solution in the form of Rumpelstiltskin. And it's interesting to me, Brent, if we're talking about our three... Tales from the Land of Untold Stories in The Count of Monte Cristo, and now we have Cinderella from last episode, and now we have this. Rumpelstiltskin's not only been involved in two of them, but he's also directly responsible for two of them going directly to the Land of Untold Stories. I'm interested to find out from you, do you like this involvement, and do you think we're going to keep seeing a trend of Rumpelstiltskin sending people into that land? I mean, it does get a little bit old, but I don't mind it just because I love Evil Queen and I love Rumpelstiltskin. So the more that they're involved, the better. Although it is sort of interesting that, like, out of nowhere, Rumpel shows up in fictional Victorian England. I mean, I guess that's okay, but it did seem a little bit like they were trying to weave in the part exactly where he might have come into the story at the end when they showed us that it was the point in time when he fell in love with Belle and he was trying to get rid of that part of him that he felt was weak. Yeah, and we also had a little bit of a a loose thread in the season five finale when it was clear that at least Hyde and Gold knew of each other and they seemed to have some bad blood between them. So I guess we got an answer to the question there. But yeah, it it was strange. But I I guess we have to remember that at this point, Rumpelstiltskin is all-seeing and all-knowing. Yeah, Rumpel gets around, let's be honest. (laughs) He definitely, hopefully he's using a lot of protection as he hops from universe to universe. What did you think about Rumpel's argument here to Jekyll? Do you find it convincing when he was talking about how, you know, this will help you get everything you want, even though it might be potentially dangerous for you to drink your own concoction? Well, I mean, he caught him at a really weak moment. I mean, Lydgate had just said no. I mean, Mary, who was the love of his life, basically said, sorry, boo, and walked off, and uh, he wasn't going to get anything, and he really felt like he was onto something here. Rumpel swoops in, says, all you need is a little bit of magic, and voila! And uh, I, I, you know, I think most people at their lowest moment would probably fall for something like Rumpel's tricks. Yeah, he needs to be one of those, like, late-night infomercial QVC salesmen, because I feel like he could put away more (laughs) units than any other saleswoman in history. (laughs) So we go to the Academy here. Now, I I I haven't read Jekyll and Hyde in a very long time, Brent. I don't know if you know it more than I do, but did the name Mr. Hyde come from the fact that he is what Jekyll tries to hide from the world in terms of facets, or was that the writers just sort of you know, making a a mountain out of a molehill. 
I think that was the writers making him out and out of a molehill. I really don't know how he got his name. I haven't read Jekyll and Hyde. I don't think I've ever read Jekyll and Hyde. I've just kind of heard of the story. And then, of course, it was made into a musical later on. Uh, with, yes, like, starring Linda, the immortal David Hasselhoff. <laughs> oh, yeah, I saw the Linda, Linda Edder version. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't know exactly where his name came from. The thing that I was really taken by was I thought that, in you know, in my telling of the story that I have heard before – Mr. Hyde, if he encompasses all of the bad, passionate, you know, dark aspects of Dr. Jekyll's personality, it seems like he would be a lot more of a brute than (laughs) Hyde was. Hyde was pretty much a gentleman when he walked into the party, so that quite didn't make sense to me, but I, uh, I allowed Once Upon a Time to go with it. Yeah, I guess, you know, Jekyll held on to his obsessive... Uh, potentially stock-worthy nature, whereas Hyde got the more gentleman-like parts. Because I completely agree. In the narrative that we're used to, Hyde is supposed to be a literal monster. I mean, I think the narrative throughout the story was that Jekyll was turning into Hyde and straight-up murdering people during the night, and Jekyll was being blamed for those crimes. And Hyde had a lot of composition to him. Granted, it was maybe because the they went with a different way with the character and they decided to write it a different way or maybe they're doing what once upon a time does it best and sort of subverting the trope but i mean hyde has a little bit of an edge to him though at least he seems to ha- hold one piece of blackmail over lydgate's head in particular yeah i i like the way they did it i'm not saying i didn't like it i i like how once upon a time as you say subverts what you expect that they're going to do and i guess i should be used to that by now towards the end of it though i sort of didn't know what hyde was trying to show us though because you know he had he was there holding the dagger and and uh uh, i'm getting ahead of myself but he was like what what was he trying to show rumple was he just gonna allow jekyll to kill bell and let him watch the whole time or was he gonna intervene like I, i didn't really know what hyde's moral compass was at that point yeah, well, you know, knowing Hyde, there would have been like three more twists between when he poofed there and when the eventual result would happen. Well, possibly, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, he's the, Mr. Hyde is the M. Night Shyamalan of Once Upon a Time, seemingly, with oh, all the twists. Oh, that's a deep that, pull. <laughs> deep pull, deep pull there. Uh, it was a sign. I saw it, and I pulled it. Uh, so <laughs> the next morning, Jekyll wakes up, and he's thrilled to see that there is an Academy pin in his pocket. Now he just needs some arm candy uh, and Rump is trying to, you know, convince him that Hyde needs to do the talking. I want to bring this up now. We're going to get this quite a few times over the course of the episode. Pulling teeth from Rumpelstiltskin slash Mr. Gold to get him to understand why he's doing all of this with Jekyll and Hyde, only for it to be revealed that it was Bell in the end. I mean, I saw it coming from a mile away. Did you, Brent? I didn't see it coming a mile away. I kind of didn't know what he was up to. I was like, is he trying to use the formula because he doesn't like his darker half and he wants to be a better man? And uh, But I kind of didn't, it didn't click in my head that maybe this was the point in time when he was in love with Belle and that was what he was trying to fix about himself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was sort of expecting it to be revolving around Belle. I do agree that I didn't know if it was him trying to use the serum to separate gold from Rumpelstiltskin. I know that I think Kurt and I talked about at the end of season five that the idea of, oh, if this serum exists, then maybe we'll see Mr. Gold use it and Rumpelstiltskin separate himself. That still might be a possibility, even if that serum is now dashed on the rocks. But I could definitely see that. But I felt felt like Bell was somewhat involved. I know the timeline is very loose on Once Upon a Time, but I had a hunch. Hyde goes to meet Mary in these very foggy woods, what did you think about Mary's <laughs> behavior in this scene? 
very foggy is an understatement. I mean, like yes, both both the the weather and Mary's morals were very foggy in this scene. <laughs> yeah, I I don't I I don't feel like anybody looks good here. I mean, you know, I'm all for making your own choices and whatnot, but she seemed to be leading Jekyll on, and then when Hyde shows up, she's like, well, I've, I just met you, but I want you, and you are exactly what I want in life. You're passionate, and you're risk-taking, and you're manly and masculine, and everything that Jekyll isn't, and so I'll sleep with you tonight. And good for you, girl. I'm glad, but I, I wish she wouldn't. It did feel to me, and I would be interested to hear what maybe like some other people thought, but it felt to me like she was leading Jekyll on that there might be something there, especially the way she interacted with him in the lab and the way she touched him and the way she spoke to him. It just felt like a big con job. Yeah, I mean, it definitely did not feel like friend zone behavior. There was no like punches on the arm. Uh, I agree that the behavior is a little suspect here. I'm not I'm not, you know, trying to slut shame Mary here. Right, but exactly. I'm not w- either. I'm 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 really more like I like I said, I don't think anybody looks good. It no. just uh I mean Jekyll certainly didn't look good because he was a freaking stalker and couldn't accept no for an answer when she clearly didn't want anything to do with him by the end. Mary I don't think it looked good because I felt like she was giving like signs to people that there was no reason to give a sign to in regards to Jekyll and Hyde on the other hand knew that Jekyll was in love with Mary and somehow he fell in love with him himself and totally hurt his feelings so yeah. I, I also don't understand the logic on Mary's part of, oh, Jekyll is trying to get rid of all the passions and desires that we have. Because I, I don't, and maybe I'm misremembering here, but I don't think that was the purpose of the serum. I think the pers- purpose of the serum was to get rid of your more, less desirable qualities. I think Jekyll still has passions. He obviously has a passion for science, a passion for Mary. Well, it's not like he's, gonna, he's not going to turn into a baked potato if he separates himself. Yeah, but also, I mean, this is the part well aside with Mary it did feel like that Jekyll was a bit milk toast and lacking in any sort of uh, a, 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 a moral core that you wanted to have in somebody that you fall in love with and Hyde had it in spades so that's one part where I I'll definitely concur with her do you think it was just a hunch? Because I guess Mary only had, what, like a five-second interaction with Hyde that we saw on screen. Do you think it was just instinctual on her part that she recognized those qualities in him? Maybe. I mean, we're always drawn to what we can't have. You know, you're always drawn to what I feel like is the opposite of whatever you are. And she seemed, she seemed like she really needed some darkness and passion in her life because it did feel like she was a bit stilted in Victorian England. Yeah. I guess so. I just I felt like she was taking lyrics out of a, like a Carly Jepsen playbook in terms of telling Hyde to call her maybe. And they did a lot of calling that night, it seems. And uh, Jekyll is not too happy about it. Brent, give me your thoughts about this whole morning after scene that culminates in Mary flying out a window. Well, again, I didn't really know what the point was because, I mean, was he trying to kill her? I mean, I guess he was trying to kill I, I don't know. I mean, I, that's the thing that was unclear. But then by the end, when he's trying to kill Belle, it's like, well, if he wasn't trying to, like, if it was close before, then I'm definitely not going to give him the benefit of the doubt because this doesn't look good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think at first you could sort of chalk it up to a 
crime of passion, even though I think passion might be the the wrong edge of the sword to use with that term. But it seemed like he seemed immediately regretful for what he did. I think he was trying to grab onto her, and he, I guess he just lost train of thought, and she ended up falling out the window. But I agree, once we see him go after Belle later, he is chasing after her, and maybe... He, after being banned to the land of untold stories, he went a little crazy, which, you know, is why when we see him in the land of untold stories, Hyde is clearly overpowering him. And now I think it's fun to look back on that relationship that we saw at the end of season five and see how, even though we thought it was a little perverted, it actually turned out for the best that Hyde was sort of keeping this possibly insane man at bay. Yeah, exactly. Like, look what, you know, we, we saw how the story played out at the end of season five. We always assumed Hyde was the bad guy. And maybe he was a bit of a bad guy, but it definitely seemed like he had more of a moral compass than Jekyll did. Hyde definitely loved Mary, where it seemed like Jekyll just wanted Mary. Do you agree with me on that? Completely, because yeah. I think the thing that catches Bell right, when they're in the boat, sort of waiting things out, is when Jekyll says, like, oh, you know... If Mary had been alive, she would have been mine. And I think Belle, of mine? all people, yeah, <laughs> like she knows, she recognizes when guys are being too possessive and using women as objects. So it was probably the wrong audience to use that term, but I think that definitely is a very indicative term as to what Jekyll was feeling about her, which is interesting because. On the surface, I think we thought that he genuinely had feelings for her, but I guess the question is, did he have feelings for her, or was he just more in love with the idea of having someone in general? I'd go with the latter, definitely. I don't, I don't think there were any real feelings there, especially with the way he treated her after he found out that she was in love with Hyde. I mean, if you love somebody, you have to let them go. and he <laughs> Let him go out a window. <laughs> right? right? Right out a window, sure. <laughs> yeah, he took that advice to heart, it really seems. Uh, so to, I guess, to evade everyone and to avoid his face being shown, he drinks the serum and turns into Hyde. And Hyde is the one to deal with Rumpel here in this last scene, where Rumpel reveals that... His experiment has been a failure, and he decides to give him a fate worse than death. I guess we find out later that that experiment was for him to find out if, what was it, if, if like someone can basically live with their foibles, if, you know, if you're able to segment your weaknesses, can you still be a, a good person, and it turns out you can't. Am I right in that read, Brent? It seems like it. I mean, in Rebel, you know, we didn't get to see it, but he banished him to the land of untold stories, and that's where we found him at the end of season five. Yeah. So I guess they, they yada yada through the key and the door and the big golden portal. But <laughs> I, I'd be intrigued to see. And maybe we'll get return appearances from these guys because, I don't know, something about the Land of Untold Stories really intrigues me. Because when Hyde brought everyone out, he was, what, sort of like their de facto leader when he was bringing everyone over to Storybrooke. I'd be intrigued to know when they got there. Was it just through pure pure domineering presence that they commanded an entire troop, or because there's so many scattered characters, I would have not, I would not have minded like a, a companion web series, a la what they did with Fear the Walking Dead, of what happened in the land of untold stories the past however many years. Yeah, but I was I have to I have to say though, I'm really glad that Hyde is gone because I love Sam Witwer, but if I have to hear him say one more time something about, you know. An untold story can be very dangerous. Like the, he always, I mean, like every episode, it says he says that untold story. Like, <laughs> it's just, yeah, drink, I'm drink like, every girl, time he stop. Sa- <laughs> drink every time he says untold story. Or right? there's a twist. There's a twist behind this twist too. Well, obviously, it's not that untold if you know the ending. Hide. 
Exactly. Well, speaking of things that have left us, another thing has left us this episode besides Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, a lot of Robert Carlyle's hair, it seems, as Gold gives himself a nice... Uh, he's lowering his ears in the beginning of this episode. Right. Train Spotting 2, for those of you who don't know, Robert Carlyle, or Bobby as everyone calls him, was doing Train Spotting 2, so he had his hair cut uh, before he came back to start taping season six. Up until now, he's been wearing a hairpiece. So this was the point in time where they decided to uh, write it into the story, as it were. Brent, you and I judge style to the best of our ability every week on the RuPaul's Drag Race Ru cap. How does the short hair look on Robert Carlyle? It makes him look, and I'm sure you'll agree with me on this, 15 years younger. It looks yep. great. It looks wonderful. That scraggly old man, long hair he had before. Uh, no, 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 no. This is much better. A nice clean cut. And uh, I love it that the, everybody in everybody in town, be it Belle or Regina or the Evil Queen, they're like, looks good. <laughs> yeah, I, I like it. I agree. I think that I love Robert Carlyle, but I feel like his old hair made him look like he like recently crawled out of a well. It, it was just so scraggly and unkempt. Yeah, so little, I, I like. It was a little crypt keep, crypt keep, crypt keeper. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that being said, do you? I guess do you like the thematic connotations behind it that they choose this moment when it seems like he's at his lowest for him to do it, or do you think it was a little too much? Like, oh, it was like Felicity cutting her hair. That you know, it, it's purely cosmetic. I don't know. I mean, I wondered what they were going in the beginning because they were, you know, they had that mirror there and he was looking at some timepiece. And of course, Rumpel's always doing something in a shop. And then he looks into the mirror and he's like, ah, I don't like the way I look anymore. And I'm like, <laughs> just now? Like, season six? Like, 28 years you were frozen and just now you're going to change? Okay, fine. Yeah, I guess uh, he's like, all right, I guess I'm going to change myself one follicle at a time for my woman. But before I guess he can show off his new look, uh, the evil queen and Hyde, the new power couple in town, appear to sort of taunt Rumple. The evil queen brings up an interesting wrinkle here where, similar to the deal between her and Regina where, you know, evil queen can't kill Regina, it seems like Rumple can't kill Hyde. Am I misremembering something, Brent? Was there ever in a moment where we knew that they had a deal where they couldn't kill each other? Was it at the end of season five? Well, didn't Regina make a deal with? Are you, well, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Are you talking about Hyde necessarily, or who yeah, are you I'm talking, talking about? about? How, yeah, because remember, Gold is choking Hyde, and then Evil Queen says, "Oh, just like I can't kill Regina, you can't kill him. So choke him all you like." Well, I think it's just that he's unkillable. Like you can't kill the evil doppelganger. Like you can literally do whatever you want oh. to him, and you're not going to be able to kill him. The only way to kill an evil doppelganger. As we would later find out, and I don't, I think at the time Regina or the Evil Queen, I should say, the Evil Queen didn't even know, or maybe she did know, and she wasn't going to tell him that the only way you can kill a doppelganger is to kill the original. Okay, that makes sense. So you think it's, it was some sort of foreshadowing for the revelation later on that the doppelgangers can only die if one pair, if one of the pairs dies. Right. She was basically saying to Gold, like, look, Regina crushed my heart, and I'm still here. Just you, you cannot kill a doppelganger. It is absolutely impossible to kill a doppelganger. Of course, we would find out at the end of the episode that's not entirely true, but the solution is not exactly a good one. Brent, I'm intrigued to hear from you. What are your thoughts about the idea of bringing back the Evil Queen? And how do you think Lana Perea has done in terms of doing double duty this season? 
effing phenomenal. Oh my God, we needed this. It's like Tony with the idol. Like, we needed this. This is huge. Like, I love the Evil Queen. I mean, I've missed her. I forgot how much I missed her. I wrote Jane Espenson, who's one of the producers and writers on Once Upon a Time. We Twitter back and forth. We DM, just so you guys know. And, uh, like, she's really, really awesome. And I told her, I'm like, look, like, I am so, so happy you guys did this because I forgot how much I missed Lana Perea in, in the costumes with the, you know, big gestures and the magic and everything like i mean that's vintage once upon a time i'm so glad she's back i'm glad that she's still there i am hopeful that we get to be with her all season long because she's absolutely devious and the other thing that is interesting is look if if jekyll can remove his evil half and hyde can be a little bit noble in falling in love with Mary and wanting to protect her, then it seems to me that it also follows that even though Regina separated the evil queen from herself, that Regina, as noted at the end, still has the capacity to be a little bit evil, and the evil queen may have a good bone in her body somewhere, and Mm. let's see what happens with that. I'm kind of intrigued by that. I'm really intrigued by the latter thing that you brought up. I know they brought up the former a little bit when... The Evil Queen was trying to, when Regina killed the Count of Monte Cristo a couple episodes ago, that she was trying to use that as an example of like, oh, you, you could take the Evil Queen out of the person, but you can't take the person out of the Evil Queen, if that makes sense. But I'm intrigued to know, because obviously Regina has a very tragic background in terms of Daniel the Stablehand dying. You know, maybe there is some sort of inkling there in the Evil Queen that possesses qualities of Regina as well. And I think that would be fun, too, because, I mean, one of the things I love about the show is that oftentimes they don't make their villains black and white. They make them very complex. We even saw this episode with Jekyll and Hyde. It was not as we expected. So I'm really hoping, A, that they keep Evil Queen around for the rest of the season, and B, if they do, they give her a lot of moments where she can really flex those good bones as you just mentioned yeah i mean the whole thing with once upon a time is there's always hope and number two is that evil isn't born it's made so uh, i'm interested in what happens with the evil queen if that means that she's not innately evil that there is some good in here somewhere and i'm interested to see where it rears its head because she doesn't seem to me like she's being evil for the sake of being evil it seems like she has a plan Brent, are you hungry for pancakes? Like 12 dozen of them? Oh my god, what was up with this scene? Come on. Like, come really? Like, I mean, this is this is how we're gonna get into the whole... And we didn't even really get to hear much of it. It was David apparently is annoyed with Hook getting to move in with Emma, and he's feeling a little sorry for himself, so he's gonna make her a bunch of pancakes. And then we never really got any resolution to it. It was just was sort of like Hook showed up at the end out of nowhere and saved Belle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, we took a break here from the David P.I. storyline of him exploring who might have killed his father. And I guess if you're giving him something small to do this episode, I guess this Very would be the case. Small. His, his, his wife is going, obviously going to have a lot more. And by the way, I think we'll we'll segment sort of the main action of the story and we can talk about the Snow White and Shireen of it all later on. But yeah, a little bit of a weak episode for David. <laughs> I mean, it just, it was a big nothing burger. Like, why was he even here? I guess he had, they had to pay him and fine, they gave him some lines. Yeah, some but, some, some uh, nothing cakes. I, I do have a theory where, like, I think it's a problem that Josh Dallas and Jennifer Goodwin are married because you can tell that, like, it would cause some strife between them if, like, they say, hey, you know, Jennifer Goodwin was gone for a couple episodes last season, but 
if they were like, hey, uh, we're going to bring Jennifer on for a few more episodes. Josh, you hang back for a little while. I feel like uh, they would not be too happy about that as a couple. Right, and let me just say that I love Jennifer Goodwin and Josh Dallas. Josh Dallas is actually from my hometown here, like in New Albany, Indiana, because it's, 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 it's across the river. He went to New Albany High School. So, I mean, I love them, but I don't need them in my story when there's really not a lot for them to do. And I thought even Snow's presence in this story was at best tenuous. Yeah, uh, we'll definitely talk about the Storybrooke High storyline uh, throughout this episode. I'm sure there will be many more episodes to come of it to distract us from the main action. Let's go to the Jolly Roger here. As we talked about a couple episodes ago, Belle is now kind of bunking with Hook while she's looking. She's in between places. I'm trying to remember this magic conch shell that allows him to, her to communicate with him through something in his necklace. Was that from the Ursula episode? I didn't have time to look it up. I mean, it, the, the conch shell is from the Ursula episode, but I don't remember the tiny shell that's around his neck also being a part of it. On the other maybe hand, it's like I a, did, maybe it's like a, a conch Bluetooth. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I do remember, though, at the end, right before the, the shell got smashed, she yelled out, hook, and then it got smashed. So that's possible. That must be the way where he figured out that Belle was in trouble and came to rescue her. Are you sure she just wasn't she wasn't using drag lingo and you know yelling for Hook to get it on? <laughs> you better hook <laughs> in my paltry Australian accent. Courtney act, I am not. Uh, so Gold confronts them on the ship, saying that Hyde is after them, and to help protect her, he literally locks her in the ship. Now Gold has shown a lot of gray morals over the years. Brent, where does this rank up for you? I mean, what the hell, Rumple? Like, you're literally locking a woman in a prison, in a bottle, like a bell jar. Like, that's... <laughs> uh, it's just... And I, I stole that from somewhere. I can't remember where I read it, but uh, I think it was Entertainment Weekly. But yeah, it was uh, not good form. What is he doing here? I mean, I thought he was trying to change a little bit, and I realized that it's all like, well, now I'm a now I'm a full man. Like, you have to embrace the evil and the good parts of me, but I still love you. That being said, to to not even take her into consideration and just lock her up... I mean, and then I, I was really glad with this episode because we did get a lot of dialogue between Rumple and Belle at the end that did explain some stuff. And maybe we got to a little bit more of the core of what's going on and how they feel about each other. But I, it was such a bad call on his part. I'm sure nobody liked this. It, this felt, it felt very icky to me. Yeah, well, I think Belle hit the nail on the head when she says, like, oh, are you, am I just, like, one of the things in your store? You're just going to put me behind glass? And, yeah, it felt like he was objectifying her a little bit, that she was one of his possessions, and he was trying to protect it at all costs. Yeah, and then, you know, jump to the end where he's telling her, you know, you may not need me, but or you may not want me, want but, me but you need me. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's, a, it's a necessity that you'll have to come back to me. Like... That felt so icky and bad, and yeah, that, felt... that, that's out of like when a man loves a woman. <laughs> oh, I, I just, I it was really, really torn. You know, I mean, this is the one pairing on the show that I think everybody wants to root for, but yet it's so hard for us to because of Rumple's actions and the fact that Bell basically puts up with him. I'm glad yep. that Bell seems to 
not put up with him anymore. Although it does feel like at some point they are going to get back together. You know, that's where it's going at some point. So she's going to have to excuse all this at some point, unless something big comes into play. Like, you know, he's not the dark one anymore, but I kind of like Rumple as the dark one. So I don't know what I want. Yeah, I could not agree more. I mean, if you've listened back to me on this podcast, you know that my main complaint with their storyline is that they're just two dogs chasing each other's tails. They keep going through this cycle of like, Rumple reveals he lied about something. Bell's pissed off about him, but then they get together at the end. I'm glad that, that that you know we're stagnant a little bit in that Bell is very resistant of him, but I'm just looking at that Cogsworth, the ticking clock in the corner, waiting until she inevitably gets back together with him when she does realize that it's a necessity. And if it's possible, under the right circumstances, it might leave a better taste in my mouth, but otherwise I'll be a little sad about it because hopefully that doesn't mean that we'll be back in the cycle again. Yeah, and it's also that he's he's basically forcing her to come back to him. It would be one thing if she, of her own volition, decided, you know what, I don't love Rumpelstiltskin, but I'm going to make the choice for my child because I, I need him. I'm going to do that on my own. But it seems like he's goading her into doing that, and that does not feel good. Let's talk about dwarves for a second. It seems like you talked about bringing in old-school elements for season six, I feel like the increased role of the dwarves is definitely one of them. I think we've had a dwarf appearance in every episode, and we do here now with Leroy and Doc overseeing Jekyll. How, what have you thought about the dwarves so far? I mean, I guess it's nice to see them. It, like I said, it's very season one. I was I was very taken with Doc's, you know, it's the queen. He said exactly like exactly like the pilot, or maybe it was like the second episode, but it was it's right around there, and uh, you know. I mean, who who can't love the Jorbs at this point? On the other hand, I did feel like uh, Leroy was a bit odd when Jekyll was like, well, I need a sandwich with no pickles or whatever the hell he asked for. And Leroy was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a gopher. I don't have to do that. And then he was like, well, fine, I'll do it. But now I got to get back to guarding the kingdom. Like, I mean, he's, he's all he's a big blowhard. We know that. Yeah, I mean, I guess he was acting much more grumpy than dreamy this time. And he definitely is a bit of a blowhard. He's like, I'm the wall between chaos and calm. He was like practicing his own Batman speech. But I thought it was funny how that he gets completely owned by Hyde and the evil queen when they come in and just knock him out with the flick of a wrist. Oh, well, it's not even a contest. I mean, Regina, or I can't say Regina, the evil queen just waves her hand and down they go, girl, bye. So do you think then, speaking towards now, I mean, Hyde's out of the picture, but... Is, do you really think the only way to defeat the Evil Queen is going to be to kill Regina? Or do you think there's going to be someone, somewhere, something in the town that will defeat her? I mean, obviously, Regina isn't going to die. I mean, Lana Perea is this show. I don't care that Jennifer Morin- Morrison's name is first on the credits list. It's Lana Perea's show. We're just living in it, okay? So she's going to not go anywhere. I'm sure at this point in the story... All they know is that the only way for the Evil Queen to die is for Regina to also die as well. But that doesn't mean there isn't another solution out there somewhere. I'm sure something else is going to come up. And I also, in somebody who believes, and I know we didn't see it in this episode, but the vision that Emma continually has, you know, I know she said that Regina is the only person that's not there. And I think that's definitely true. On the other hand... Emma could also be underneath the hood. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's the other Emma as well. So, I mean, I, I don't know, but I definitely know they're playing with different sides of the same coin in this season. So that's where I feel like that vision's going. 
Yeah, I was definitely the one that stood behind that. Uh, I completely agree with the Emma's the one under the cloak theory. That's one that I, the flag that I planted in episode one. I know listeners have provided other thoughts that, you know, maybe it's Jafar because there, there's the, the Aladdin narrative that still needs to be tied into it. But that's my leading theory at the moment. We didn't have a, a therapy session from Emma, maybe because she was so full of pancakes. But oh, and I feel like yeah. the, the, go how ahead. cool is it that the cricket is back? Like we've got uh, to see I Archie. Love Archie. Like, I'm so glad that he's getting work. <laughs> like, so well, I'm rough. also glad because this is also a way to, for the writers to at least lampshade, like, the frustration people have had with Emma. Like, for example, saying, like, Emma, why don't you tell your family about the fact that you had this vision? Oh, no, I can't. I, I want to protect them. Emma, you realize how stupid that logic is, right? Like, I feel like he's the voice of the audience. <laughs> Oh, yeah, totally. Exactly. When he was going with the uh, during the session with her, all the things that he was saying was stuff that I was literally yelling at my TV screen at home. But I, I have to say, Raphael Zabarge plays a great Jimmy Cricket, and I'm glad to see that he's back in the story. I hope we get to see more of him. Yeah, hopefully he doesn't get kidnapped again and thrown into a ship. <laughs> Possibly not. <laughs> Uh, so the, these next couple of scenes are all essentially a, a battle of wits between Jekyll slash Gold and Hyde, where it seems to be one big game of he knows that we know that he knows that I don't know, uh, starting where Gold and Regina come to the lab. They destroyed everything, but Jekyll switched the vials at the last minute, uh, and just when they're about to use it, Gold then pulls out Jekyll's heart as sort of his own form of collateral, <clears throat> excuse me, to say, um, okay, you know, give me, let pour this serum over the dagger, give it to me, or Jekyll is going to die. And so there were quite a few whiplash moments over the course of that one scene, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know exactly who was leading who on, and I always felt like Rumble was in control, but I also didn't know exactly what he wanted. I guess this all goes back to the beginning of the episode when Regina and Hyde walked into the shop, and Regina said, you have a deal with me, but Hyde said, but you don't have a deal with me, and I can do what I want. So I think that's where he was worried about Hyde, going off and doing whatever he wants to Bell. That's why he put her in the uh, bubble prison, so to speak. And uh, then when it got to this point, this was a really nice twist. I mean, whoever wrote this episode was great. So first of all, uh, Gold gets Regina to to pour the uh, solution on the dagger so that he can kill Hyde. And uh, but before that, Hyde had already been there, destroyed the shop, and he had switched the potion. Even though Jekyll thinks he still has the potion, he doesn't have the potion. He has a fake. So Regina essentially poured a fake on the dagger. So then when Rus- Rumple goes to kill Hyde to get him out of the way, so he can't hurt Bell anymore, Hyde pulls the dagger. Right. And by the way, I don't know if you had a big gas moment. I had a gay gas moment when he pulled the dagger right out of himself. Yeah. And it didn't kill him. And I'm like, oh, shit, he has the dagger. I'm like, oh, my God, we're oh, back to that again. Especially when Hyde, like, really plays it up at first as if he had just gotten stabbed. And was like, oh, no, 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 I'm just kidding. Right? It was oh, really that was great. great. That, which would you say was the more gruesome stabbing? When Rumpel flat out shanks uh, Hyde in the chest or when Bell stabs Jekyll in the shoulder with part of the conch shell. Oh my god, the conch shell stab. That was so apropos. That was so great. That's my new word for the day, even though it doesn't make sense in the sentence anywhere, but I loved it. It was so great because it was like she stabbed him with a conch shell. Like, uh, that was so great, Bell. You go, girl. On the other hand, yeah. Rumple, like, R- Rumple kills people with the dagger all the time, so I wasn't surprised about that. <laughs> 
And I and I was also I was really surprised about that too because you get this weird scene where I guess Emma and David found Hyde in the forest and they try to tase him like last time but he's outsmarted them and he runs away and he turns around right into the dagger. I was I you know I definitely let out my own I guess gay gasp from it just from the surprise of it. And then another one when Hyde turns out that he was the deceiver all along. There was another twist in that he switched the vials and now that he has the dagger, he commands Gold to take him to the Jolly Roger so his final act can take place. Right, and we don't know what that act is, but we know he has the dagger, and if he didn't die at this point, he would have probably had the dagger for the rest of the season. So that would have definitely been a problem. Yeah, yeah we know what happened with Zelina in that. <laughs> right, exactly. So he takes our, so we, he takes him to the Jolly Roger at this point, and it's at this point I'm like, so is he going, like, is he a good enough guy where he's going to save Belle from Jekyll? Is that what he's doing? Like, or is he just going to allow Rumble to watch Belle die at this point? Like, what is his endgame here? I didn't know what was going on. I would think the latter, because I think, again, this goes in line with um, the Evil Queen a couple episodes ago. Didn't she tell Regina or slash Emma something like, you know, I'm not going to destroy you. I'm going to let you destroy yourselves by essentially, you know, planting seeds of dissent amongst your giant garden of a family. And I feel like that might have been an example here where, like, if Bell died, but not at his hands, at the hand of their supposed ally, then things get thrown into chaos, and essentially that's what he wants. So it would have been brutal, but I could totally see Hyde doing it and also making the statement of, I'm not the monster here. I'm not the one that killed her. He did. Yeah, I guess. On the other, and, and Hyde was really pissed off about the fact that Rumpel essentially, even though he came to fruition because of Rumpel's actions, he was pissed off that Rumpel essentially tricked Jekyll into drinking the potion for Rumpel's own purpose himself. So maybe there's that too. Yeah, definitely getting a, a long-seated revenge there. So do you think that Hook heard his name on the conch shell and got there? Because he he got there pretty quick when Belle looked like she was about to uh, to perish. Well, there was a little bit of an edit there, on the other hand. I mean, but, I mean, this is typical superhero kind of, you know, magic shows where, like, somebody comes out of nowhere. Like, I mean, he just, like, like where was he this whole time? Was Did he just, like walk onto the boat as Rumpel and Hyde are standing there looking at the whole thing? Like, where did he come from? But fine, I'll accept it. Again, I think she she did manage to call out his name right before the shell smashed. So I'm going to assume that that is how Hook heard that she was in trouble and he came back and saved her. And the funny part was right when he saved her and Jekyll ends up on that metal uh, slab or whatever the hell that stabbed yeah, it looks like, a, it looks like a spear just a random spear sticking out of the ship which probably is right? not very safe <laughs> i mean so hyde turns to rumpel and says you know this untold story is not over i commend you blah 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 and he like literally i'm like oh okay thank god now at least he doesn't have the dagger anymore yeah, I mean, I, again, as much as I would have loved to see Hyde, I feel like having the all-powerful Hyde, he was probably at his most powerful right in that moment where he had the dagger and control of the most magical person in the town. But then to have him pass away, I, I didn't even put Jekyll being impaled on our gruesome moments list, but it kind of has to be up there too as well, right? To have him just stabbed through the chest and wriggling there for a few minutes. Oh my god, that was probably one of the most gruesome kills on Once Upon a Time. Most of the time it's like Regina hits him with the fireball and they just dissolve into ashes or something. Yeah. But this one was really, really bad. 
Yeah, it was. Uh, I guess they were they were earning that rating, even though it aired at eight o'clock. Maybe that's one of the times it isn't such a family show. But we have Jekyll and Hyde both dead. They lay them to rest on the docks, I guess, by just pulling a sheet over them. Uh, God knows who has to clean that up. But we get this interesting scene here between Regina and Emma, where Regina says, "You know, let's do an eye for an eye." In Camelot, you told me to protect your family at all costs when you went dark. I'm asking you to do the same thing. This weighs a lot more heavily on Emma, though, because as we just talked about, she's very wary of Regina as her possible suspect for killing her. So I feel like the plot is definitely thickening now between Regina and Emma. Yeah, I like the Regina and Emma moments, and I'm sure the listeners do too. I mean, the the, the part of season five, the, the season five finale, where I really connected with the characters the most was when Regina was talking to Emma in Neil's apartment saying, you know, I, I don't feel like I can ever get away from the evil queen. I feel like she's always going to be there, and you don't understand that. And then all I wanted to do was rip Hook's head off when he walked in after he was alive again, and I couldn't get Rumple back. Like, I love these little moments between Emma and Regina. I loved it in season five when Emma told Regina, you know, you have to be the one to take me down if, if something happens to me. So uh, I, I, I like seeing that aspect of their personality where they respect each other and they watch each other's back for the sake of Henry and the town. Mm-hmm. No, it's, now it's going to be more complicated in that Emma made this promise, but she believes in her head that she's going to be the one. I'm going to protect you all I want, but at the end of the day, you're going to be the one to approach me in a hood and kill me. So we'll see how much Emma lives up to that promise. That's definitely a wrinkle in that plan. We talked about it before, but sort of wrapping up this Golden and Bell storyline, what did you think? You talked about how you were a little skeeved out by the whole, you won't want me, you'll need me. But any other thoughts about Gold's final speech to Bell about why he got involved with all this business? I mean, I thought that the connection was tenuous at best, but on the other hand, I'm used to Rumple running around different stories, different places, different times in the past. And, you know, if, if, if something magical happened in the past, odds are Rumpelstiltskin had something to do with it. Uh, my parents actually watch Once Upon a Time and uh, on the Cinderella episode last week, I, even though they've watched every episode of Once Upon a Time, I had to remind them, I'm like, remember, Rumpelstiltskin was the fairy godmother like he literally killed the fairy godmother to take her wand and then mm-hmm. he became the new fairy godmother that was the whole deal and they were like oh yeah they're like well he really gets around doesn't he like i'm like yes he does and here he here he goes again yeah he's like the time lord of once upon a time he just seems to be everywhere and anywhere at once <laughs> yeah a little bit of a uh, uh what, what do you call it like a dos ex machina where like he, he yeah de- de- deus ex machina oh, okay. where, like, he'll just appear at the last of it yeah, I don't, just I, don't appear, use, I, never, I don't use the word in my daily life, so I forget how to pronounce it. But you guys know what that, I'm talking about. I love that about. beer, Dos Equis Machina. That's my favorite beer. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do like a nice bell burn here at the very end where she says, you know, you cut your hair because not because, you know, uh, because you because you wanted to impress me, but because you were tired at looking at the man in the mirror. I always love when she sort of turns these comments back to him of like, you just don't like yourself, which I think is a valid statement uh, and sort of maybe justifies a little bit why he's acting this way. Yeah, I thought that was great. I mean, that was the face crack of the uh, episode for Belle. Like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't for anybody else except for yourself because you're tired of looking at your ugly self because you're so damn evil. That was I'm the reason I'm so glad why. we get to use Drag Race terms on the Once Upon a Time podcast. Right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, choices. choices. Choices, Gold. Lots of choices. Uh, speaking of choices, kids were making their class choices as they came back for the school year. Or uh, but maybe, maybe you have a theory about this. 
When Mary Margaret went back into teaching, are we to assume this is the beginning of the school year, or did she just happen to hop back onto her old job while things were still going on? I think given that she's Snow White and she's the freaking princess and the former mayor of this town for like a half a second, I think that they (laughs) will let her have her job back anytime she wants. So what did you think about this revelation from Snow White last episode? I mean, I guess it goes along with the whole end of last season, her saying, I'm not going by Mary Margaret anymore. That woman's dead. I'm, I'm Snow White through and through. But what do you think about her idea of, oh, let me go back to teaching? And at least from my point of view, I was so surprised at how quickly it came. I thought this was going to be a much more deeply seated plot line than what we got. Well, I mean, look, it's obviously a plot device. I mean, that was the only way they could really get Shireen, i.e. Jasmine, into a story. They needed uh, Snow to be able to interact with somebody. They can only interact with so many people at Granny's, so they needed to get her out into the world. And how can she interact with somebody new? Let's send her back to school and make her a teacher again. And there's this new teacher aide that comes in, and they get to know her, and she's hiding stuff from Snow, and that's how we're going to do it. So, obviously, it's just a plot device. I don't... Frankly, I don't think we're going to see much more of Snow teaching except for this episode. I mean, we might see her like in the school, but I don't think we're going to see her actually teaching. I think we're just going to see them in passing because that's how she's going to interact with Shireen. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about Shireen? How does she compare to her other two appearances on uh, on on reality television? <sighs> I mean, I feel like that maybe she's not so good. Like, I want to think that she's good because everybody thinks, okay, Princess Jasmine is good, and we know the Aladdin story, and we want her to be good. But she is lying to Snow about why she's there. And the other thing that makes me nervous is meeting at nighttime with the seer, who I am still dubious of because she oh, yeah. carries around that staff, and we and saw she had a, and she had a red bird lead to her, which I I shrugged off as like oh it can't be Iago, but it seems like the fandom is pretty much in support that it is Iago. Okay, so I, at least I'm not alone then. Okay, I haven't read too much about what the fandom thinks, so that's good. I mean, I feel like the seer may be Jafar in disguise because she has that staff, she has a bird, she can, she's magical, she can see things, and she's with Jasmine, i.e. Shireen. And I feel like that maybe they're up to no good. Either Jafar, it, like let's assume for the sake of argument that the seer is Jafar, which I don't know, or the oracle is Jafar. I don't know that for sure, but let's assume it is. Obviously, he's up to no good. And if Jasmine is up to no good, then uh, no, they may be the big bad of the season. I mean, I, I know people are like, well, how do you, why do you think that Jasmine is up to no good? But we know that we we know that Aladdin is not in good in good spirits right now. He's mm-hmm. obviously lost somewhere, and he is maybe not feeling great about himself as being the savior. And you heard her talking to Snow. She was basically talking about herself, like there was a princess once who could save her kingdom, but she chose not to. So is she... Is she is she totally bad at this point, or is she trying to make up for past mistakes? And does she know that that the Oracle is potentially Jafar and a bad person? That's the other part that still needs to be revealed. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to assume no, but I think it might be her own form of redemption. And we obviously, as was heavily advertised the past month on Once Upon a Time, next week we will find out about Aladdin and Jasmine and Jafar. But I think that... Her story that she reveals to Snow, I have this friend in a way, I I think it definitely does show that she's not a 
perfect person. There's many things she wished she wouldn't do. Uh, but I think that she might have to have a propensity to at least do good. I'm a, just, I'm a fan of Jasmine's actress in general, uh, Karen David, who some might remember other ABC fans from her role on Gallivant. So she clearly has a niche for doing medieval-based ABC television shows. So hopefully they give her a little more to do. I'm having trouble trying to gauge an opinion on her right now, but hopefully with her becoming a much more prominent role in the next few episodes, it'll become much clearer whether she is working for one side or the other. Right. I feel like the uh, the, the thing was uh, by Snow, by the way, and the whole teacher's aid thing, like I know that they only have two scenes and they have to get these things out in two scenes, but the first scene was basically the kids looked at her like she had four eyes, okay? And then... Well, I mean, <laughs> I would too if someone walked in like, great, we're going to learn Newton's third law of motion. Here's three numbers on the board. All right, somebody figure figure it out like right i, get I love you i love you snow but you, you, you're not you're not a good teacher you're not you're not the guy from sand in the liver on the other hand at the end when she basically just takes a bow and arrow and shoots it at a random target somewhere she's like would anybody else like to try and the, the entire class raises their hand at that point <laughs> like that was a little too cute for me but fine it's snow white and she can be cute if she wants to yeah uh i I, I thought it was. I thought that was a funny moment, but I wonder: does that is that all that Snow White has in the tank? Is she going to be like, "All right, we're going to learn about planets now"? Here's a bow and arrow, and we're going to shoot all the planets in the forest. <laughs> Jessica Frey tweeted me, or maybe she direct messaged me and said that uh, is like, is Snow going to teach them about a birdhouse again? I'm like, thankfully not. Thankfully not. Yeah, that's good. Uh, hope we'll, we'll see. I mean, do you think there's a chance that we're going to see like? all of these snow classroom scenes pepper through, or like you said before, do you think it's going to be few and far between? I think it's going to be few and far between. It's a plot device to get Shireen into the story. And, you know, we'll probably see, like, I, I, my, my guess would be the next time we see snow in class, it'll be the end of class. She'll say, you know, thank you, class, class dismissed, and Shireen will walk in and we'll have some conversation about something. And then, and then the story will take off. That's what's going to happen. Any more thoughts about this episode, Brent, before we start wrapping things up? I really loved this episode. Um, like I said, the connection with Rumple to the past was, I, I thought, at best tenuous, but I loved the conversation between Rumple and Belle. Uh, I really thought that we got some feelings out about how Belle truly feels about Rumple. I didn't feel like it was totally like them chasing each other's tail because I felt like there was a little bit of progress. Rumple basically love him or hate him told Belle, you know, you know what you may, you may not love me, but you're going to need me. And uh, pretty soon that's, that's not, that's going to be the case because you forget that you're carrying the son of the dark one. And there are a lot of people who probably want to come after him. And it probably just dawns on her, Oh shit, he's right. Like I'm carrying the spawn of the dark one, and uh, that might not be such a good thing. How long until Rumples puts on? And I'm telling you, I'm not going in the background. It gives the lip sync for his life. Uh, very soon, and I think that the evil queen will be right along there with him. And I think the evil queen wins that lip sync. <laughs> All right. Well, that'd be it'd be rather contentious. I I don't know. Uh, it might be a shock <laughs> elimination of Once Upon a Time. Brent, before you go, give me one bold prediction you'd like to make about something that will happen according to you in the at some point in the rest of the season. I boy, I think that Henry will rear his head again as the author and potentially go bad at some point later on mm. this season. Not now, but I do feel like that once upon a time will probably go seven seasons 
um, the ratings are at least stable right now. And I feel like the producers want to go seven seasons. And I feel like that that's where, and, and I have no inside knowledge of this, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, and I just kind of reading between the tea leaves, I've always felt like toward the end of the season that Henry may go dark and that may be what the ultimate season is about. Like, you know, if you, if you think about it, Henry has a whole lot of magic inside him. He's the author. He's the son of a savior and he's the grandson of the dark one. Like, let's be real. Like, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, I mean, you talked about Deus Ex Machina beforehand. I feel like Henry is the biggest representation in this world where he has the capacity to be able to change anyone's stories. And we're getting, we're like dancing around it a little bit. You know, he has the manifesto and is tracking down everyone's stories. But Right, and we I saw talk- Violet there as well. So Violet's yeah. still in the story. Like, what if something happens to her? He could easily go bad. Like, I would love to see that. That would be so great. And I could totally see that, especially, again, because... It wasn't so soon. We saw him do his authorship in the season five finale. So it's clear that he still has the power in spite of breaking that pen long ago. So I could absolutely see it. And I'd like to see it. I mean, I it's an ensemble show for a reason. I hope they give everyone at least something to do instead of just make pancakes for their family members. Right. I think the seasons, you know, we're going to, my predictions for this season are, you know, Regina's going to eventually deal with the evil queen. I don't know if it's going to be sooner or later. Obviously, Emma's going to deal with the fact that she's a savior and she can, can she make everybody happy? And will she allow herself to be saved by other people? That's what a lot of saviors apparently have a problem with. Hook and her will eventually move in together and feel good about each other. And I think it's at that point where everyone's probably pretty happy that henry probably has the rug pulled out from under him and he goes dark but maybe that's me hoping i don't know we'll see what happens brent thank you so so much for coming on to this once upon a recap i always love when you come on as a big super fan and spout off your thoughts about once upon a time it's been great having you do you want to plug your social media handle and talk about any other things that you're doing in the rob has a podcast atmosphere yeah, well, we just finished up uh, RuPaul's Drag Race with me and Mike. Uh, that was great. We, that, that podcast just dropped yesterday. I am doing uh, Big Brother Over the Top with uh, Rob, Alex, Taryn, and Jordan. You can find me on Twitter at OneLuckyGay. That's one spelled out, O-N-E, Lucky Gay. And uh, you can tweet me if you want to know about Big Brother Over the Top, which is a great season. And I'm also going to be in New York for Know-It-Alls. Uh, next week, I believe it is, for the uh, mm-hmm. Big Brother get-together on Tuesday night. So come out and see me if you're in New York. Brent, if America had a nomination to have one current character on Once Upon a Time be up for elimination, who should America choose as a whole? I mean, I think everybody would choose Rumple because his behavior with Belle is just beyond the pale. I mean, it really is, or beyond the dagger, as it were. So uh, I, don't, I don't think that anybody would vote for anybody except for Rumple because Rumple is at his worst to me because he doesn't seem like he's very fun and having a good time. And on the other hand, he's behaving horribly with Belle. At, you know, the evil queen, lover or hater, you at least light up when she's on the screen. And Rumple seems a little bit dour. And I don't like a Rumple who's dour. I like a Rumple that's mm-hmm. fun. Do you think there would be internet polls and change.org petitions about getting Rumple fired from his job at the antique shop? Oh, I, I think it would be all over the place. Like, that, <laughs> uh, he, he, he would be so out of there. <laughs> 
Well, at least, I'm glad that Once Upon a Time at least put up its own protective bubble then against the outside world. Uh, you can follow me, as always, at a Mike Bloom type. Uh, you can always reach out to us in a myriad of ways, our social media handles like we just mentioned. Leave a comment here on postshowrecaps.com. Let us know your thoughts and your theories about where this season might go. We're only four episodes in, but already so much has happened. Make sure you're subscribed to our Once Upon a Time only feed at postshowrecaps.com slash once iTunes. And make sure you're subscribed to our Postshow Recaps feed in general there's a lot going on uh the walking dead is coming back next week snl has had a few episodes seinfeld's always going aj mass and i are starting to cover black mirror which is dropping its third season this friday uh we have westworld going strong as well so there's a bunch of stuff to check out on post show recaps to fill your days and nights to finish things off, Brent, uh, can we think of a hashtag for people who made it to the end of this podcast? Well, I was trying to think of a way to spell a hashtag like, what did I call it? Like, Dace Ex Machina or something like that? Yeah, you, what? Call it, you, you call it like Deuce Ex Machina. <laughs> deuce, do, yeah, douche ex, douche ex Machina. Like, let's say Ooh, that. Oh, I love that one because Rumpel is a douche and he always shows up at the end. That's perfect. So, a D-O-U-C-H-E-E-X-M-A-C-H-I-N-A. That was my, yes. uh, that was my deuce, application. Deuce ex machina. Ma- machina. Get it, girl. <laughs> Perfect. Brent, thank you again for coming on. Uh, Kurt and I will be back next week. S- uh, schedule is still a little TBD. Uh, as Brent said, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on here in New York next week. Kurt's going to be traveling, but we will be covering the episode in some way, somehow. Thank you guys so much for listening, as always. But for now, if you need to chop anything, a sharpened conch shell makes for a great play. Take care, everyone. Kill.